With us this morning is uh, Dr. Steve Golmerdine and Senior Professor of Physics at Cedarville University. And we are going to have what might be one of the most weird and intriguing conversations on this program yet today. Uh, good morning, sir. Thank you very, very much for being with us. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Glad to be here. Um, I have been a, uh, I have been intrigued and fascinated with uh, space, with uh, the distances of our galaxy, the known universe, all of the, all of the science and all that goes along with it. And sometimes along with that is the discussion of, are we a completely, totally unique planet in existence, or are there others out there that might legitimately have life on them? And I thought it would be a wonderful conversation to have with somebody whose pay grade is much higher than ours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, maybe to start us off here, um, I think uh, we always have kind of a fascination with space and uh, what it might have uh, in store for us. But if we go back to the Genesis account, uh, we see that uh, God made uh, the space up there, the sun, moon, and stars, uh, for times and seasons. Uh, it helps us to understand uh, how time is going to transpire on the larger scale, let's say on the monthly scale, on the uh, annual scale, and then also uh, for planning seasons, etc. Mm -hmm. But uh, as we've kind of gotten into the 20th century, and now we're in the 21st century, uh, the tools that we have for investigating space have become much more sophisticated, and we realize that space is much larger than we initially anticipated. Uh, if you go back to the time of the Greeks, uh, they were thinking in terms of a celestial sphere out there somewhere, but the planets and the sun and the earth were, and the moon were really uh, the main players. And now right. all of a sudden we're uh, sending the James Webb Telescope up, mm -hmm. and we're looking out the distances of billions of light years. So the thing that I have thought for all of my life is uh, you read in Scripture about how precious we are, uh, how precious we are to God and such that he, he sent Jesus to die for us. To me, that is an indicator that we are pretty darn special. So I had the idea that it was not arrogant, it was not foolish for, uh, for us to believe that we were the only life form in the known universe. I thought, to me, it seemed logical that God would create all of this for our enjoyment, for us to ponder the immensity of the universe and understand its complexity on a fractional scale, obviously, but then attribute that to the, the design of God. It, it kind of all fit. But then I, with some of the, the, the scientific discoveries that have been made recently, specifically some individuals that have come forward and testified before Congress that you know what? We may not be the only life form in existence on other planets. I believe as Christians we need to have this conversation and ponder this subject to be prepared in order to have conversations with us. When, if, 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 let me just say, if it's announced that there is some form of life, whether complex or simple, if there's a form of life on another planet, we need to be prepared to have that discussion and, and be prepared and know where we stand in our faith. Can you touch on that subject at all? 
Well, uh, there's a large scope there. Uh, there's a couple of different threads I can chase down. Um, personally, I don't think it's arrogant to think that we are a special part of God's creation. Right. Uh, because as God made Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, we have a, a train of, of humanity clear up to the time of Christ, where Christ becomes the second Adam. He dies for the sins of the world, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, that's not arrogant at all. I think uh, a lot of times when we start looking and speculating about life out there, uh, we kind of go back to uh, Carl Sagan and his Nova ser- uh, his mm-hmm. uh, Cosmo series, mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, uh, no, I'm not, Contact. Right. Uh, it was made into a movie with Jodie Foster as the heroine. Uh, but the reigning theme was that if there's not life out there, then it's a terrible waste of space. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, right. that's not a very compelling argument. Uh, I, I feel that the grandeur and the, and the uh, vastness of God's creation uh, really testifies to how much higher his ways are than our yes, ways. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So, Steve, when we consider life on other planets and just that thought, does the form of life make a difference when it comes to such a discovery, aligning or not aligning with Scripture? I, I think it is a form of life does make a difference. Um, years ago, when I had thought about this issue, I thought in terms of all life, uh, we look at the creation account, uh, but, you know, if you look closely at uh, the six days of creation, uh, in the first three days of creation, God is preparing spaces, and in the th- uh, last three days, he's filling those spaces. So on uh, day one, you have God created, or I should say, uh, God uh, made light and separated the light from the darkness. Essentially, he is creating space itself. For which, uh, which he's going to populate. Mm-hmm. On the second day, he ends up by dividing the waters above and below the firmament, and so we have the atmosphere, we have the spa- uh, uh, the waters below, which would be our oceans, etc. We have the atmosphere, but we also have something above, which would allude also possibly to space. Uh, then you get to the third day, and on that day of creation, you have the land appearing out of the water, but you also have plants. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in God's preparation of space, he's distinguishing, let's say, microbial life, plant life, as being distinct from the life that he uses to populate uh, the oceans and the air on day five and the land with uh, animals and humanity on day six. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if, uh, you know, with the James Webb telescope, the hope is to sample the atmosphere, or at least be able to get a sense of what's in the atmosphere of planets, of uh, um, star systems, uh, let's say, up to 100 light years away. And if somebody says, you know, there seems to be organic compounds in the atmosphere, which is compelling that there might be life there, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'll hear uh, there will be plenty of news posts about we find sugars in a particular nebula, uh, it's the fact is certain organic compounds naturally form without life. Right. Even if it is formed by life, I would not be surprised if there's microbial or plant life out there, and it would not uh, disturb my faith at all. And I think I, I like the logic behind that. And this is exactly what I'm saying is if you look at this subject and you think it through logically and, <clears throat> excuse me, without a lot of hysteric emotion, which can follow this subject, uh, depending on who you talk to, 
you find that there is there is a theme here that uh, that we can trust and that God knows what he's doing and that we don't have to fear any at all. Right. Let me let me ask you just do you find that your knowledge and and your faith conflict with the the science of being uh, in physics, do you do you do you feel pressure from colleagues or the community, or does it ever cause a conflict within you, your faith and the knowledge of science? Well, I think anytime you learn something new, you have to fit it into the framework of what you already know. And um, you know, I, I appreciate being here at Cedarville University because all of my colleagues are on the same page with me with yeah. regards to uh, us being special creation, right? And God creating in six days. So I don't see the pressure there, but I do remember um, probably one of those things that really got me to ponder and think is uh, back in the year 2000, uh, Fermilab as well as uh, University of Chicago had a uh, special uh, seminar ser- uh, seminar on uh, cosmology at the millennium. Mm-hmm. And so I attended it, and they had essentially the top-hitting cosmologists uh, talking about why we feel that the Big Bang cosmology is correct and why um, we see these certain aspects. And it really challenged me because the science definitely gives a strong evidence that the universe is huge, which I agree, but also that the universe is very old, which with regards to where I uh, kind of look at Scripture, I take uh, exception to. And so to try to kind of fit those two uh, I started uh, probably the second day of the seminar kind of cinched it for me is the fact that there was a individual he was talking about doing computer modeling uh, or simulations on how galaxies form uh, after the Big Bang and so as he's talking through he said well I ran this simulation using what we ordinarily see as matter and light and how it behaves and run the physics and he said the universe doesn't turn out right so then we feel that there's something out there called dark matter. Now, right. dark matter could be, you know, black holes, um, uh, star systems that never form, dust clouds, etc. And that but goes with all, dark energy, right? Well, yeah, and, and that ends up by, and so uh, as he tried different things, he essentially, it's kind of like when you're cooking, you put in another ingredient to see if that makes it taste right. Right. And essentially, <laughs> you put enough ingredients in, and all of a sudden, his computer model came up with what he expected. Now, oh, is that a prediction, or is it just fitting a model to what you want to? And so uh, I realized at that point how much our assumptions uh, feed into how we interpret data and what kind of models we pursue. Okay, yeah. well, that is excellent. I want to pursue that a little bit because uh, there have been public sightings of UFOs and UAPs reported throughout history, right. really. Right. And if there ever were any verifiable truth of beings out, outside of Earth, uh, would that necessarily be what we think it is? Could it be spiritual in nature? Well, uh, I mean, this craze that we're kind of recently just starting to step into, uh, I think, was going on back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had a lot of speculations about all of the uh, the pyramids and the... Um, uh, large pictographs in the Andes were from aliens and uh, those type of things. I can't remember the individual that really promoted that, but that was a big fad in the 70s. 
uh, even to the point where there was a uh, Christian um, professor that was promoting the fact that uh, he felt that uh, an, a spaceship would land down in, let's say, Washington, D.C., and as aliens come out, essentially declare them as the savior of the world, which he would then equate to being the Antichrist. And so we, we try to, you know, there's lots of speculation, but that can lead us astray. Mm-hmm. If you go back to, uh, let's say, Swedenborg, Swedenborg thought there was life out there, but it might have been the uh, dead souls of those from Earth, and they were populating out in the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Mormon theology, uh, when you die, if you're, uh, at least my understanding is that you would be given essentially your own planet. And so when we start trying to speculate beyond, beyond what Scripture says, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble, right. and we can end up by moving into a realm which we would call cult. I, that's excellent. Yeah. That's an excellent answer. So how do we how do we absorb this information then that we are hearing, whether it be maybe we've jumped into to this uh, thing that happened with in front of Congress. You know, we jumped into right. the conversation there when they were talking about and addressing it. Yeah. So how do we how do we respond as Christians then when we jump into that testimony or hear that testimony? Well, what I would say is be very cautious about what's really being said. Um, I think um, there was a book out probably about 20 years ago. It was called Rare Earth. It was uh, written by Brownlee and Ward. And in fact, one of their graduate students uh, ended by uh, coordinating with a uh, creationist to write a book called The Privileged Planet. And so I used these two books, uh, Rare Earth and Privileged Planet, in my class to talk about how unusual the possibility of life out in the cosmos is. You have to be in the right place in the solar system. You have to have the right, uh, you have to have water. You have to have other different properties true. And when you start calculating the probability, Mm -hmm. the improbability outweighs the number of stars out there. And so uh, could there be life out there? Yes. Microbial life, I'm fine with that. But as soon as we start getting up to the point of intelligent life, that would be able to do space travel. If indeed it is out there, it would be very, very rare. Uh, Brownlee and Ward did a um, follow-up book called, uh, I think it was uh, Life and Death on Planet Earth, and they said, you know, let's say we are able to uh, go into the future, and because we are in this rare Earth, uh, what's our fate like? And every single scenario was, well, we could go out into outer space. Well. Mm-hmm. But to travel to the closest planet is going to take you, you know, so many centuries. Or I should say not planet, but uh, exoplanet would take so many centuries. And so all of a sudden you're talking about uh, things that are not in the immediate. So if we are seeing UFOs from elsewhere, uh, it would not be some alien invasion. And second of all, uh, the improbability of somebody being able to travel that large a distance over that large a period of time and being able to maintain life is ridiculously small. Right. And so Brownlee and Ward's conclusion is, well, uh, it looks like we're stuck on planet Earth, and when our sun burns out, that's the end of it, so essentially eat, drink, and be merry, which uh, we've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's old school and, and, and has been around for as long as we have been around. Um, I think one of the, the prevailing theories is that perhaps what we're seeing 
could be uh, bleeding over from another dimension. I think that leads into the whole string theory multiverse uh, you know, explanation uh, of, and so forth. It's fascinating. It's mind-boggling, and it can take it can take you down and distract you from what is truly important for a long, long time. It's one of those things that you, you're very you have to be kind of careful with. Uh, Dr. Goma, thank you uh, for being with us. I I would love to have follow up conversations with you. You touched on the whole issue of of the. Uh, uh, dark energy and dark matter and and how the explanation of 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 creation has been and how the the timeline seems to conflict between what our faith is and and uh, what what science would say I would love to have follow-up conversations with you at another time if you're available that would be fine I thank you mm-hmm. very very much for taking a few minutes to talk to us and uh, I do I definitely appreciate all that you're doing thank you sir You're quite welcome. Have a great day.